Hi, I'm Tony Cameron. And I'm Benedict Evans. And today I thought we would talk about When Technology Says No, which is a piece that I've written and will probably publish before we put this out. Um, and the sort of thing that I was thinking was that we've got all these waves of regulation and proposals and so on, kind of washing over the tech industry one after another. And the sort of natural reaction of a lot of people in tech, and of course, particularly the people in tech who are actually being told they have to do something, is to say no. And yep. we can't do that. That's a terrible idea, and that will break everything, and that's a, it'll, be, it'll be a catastrophe and, 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 and awful, and you don't understand. And, of course, if you're a regulator, um, you've been hearing this. People have been always said, people always say that. And so your natural reaction is to go, yeah, yeah, whatever, shut up, just do as you're told. And the, I thought it was kind of interesting to think about the reality between the two. Um, that, you know, there are different ways in which people say that's a terrible idea or we don't want to do that, which is kind of interesting to tease out. I like it because it also brings back the meaning of no. Um, I think mm. when you hear no so often, even whether you're a regulator or you're a salesperson working in a tech company and you want a new feature or you need something changed that helps you close a deal more and brings money on the table, the general answer from your engineers is probably no, or your designers probably no. So I think this brings yeah. back meaning to why are they saying no? Like the I I like the why of no basically. Yeah, that sounds that's that sounds very zen. Um, <laughs> the why of no. Um, yeah. I just well, read the book, The Year of Yes. So this is great. After the Year of Yes, we have the Why of No. Let's go. Yeah, well, there's a um, there's a joke like right, how many graphic designers does it take to change a light bulb, and the answer is screw you, I'm not changing anything. <laughs> and um, and I, I'm reading um, my my sort of former colleague Stephen Sinovsky's um, book slash sort of serial newsletter where he's publishing sort of his his memoir of Microsoft basically. And so he talks about, he's been, the latest kind of current issue is about the Microsoft Office window, uh, mm. ribbon, the ribbon that replaced the toolbars and sort of the why and how they got to that and what the thinking was. But of course, what he says is like, it's, you know, when you tell people to do something inside a company, they say no. Whenever you ask anybody to change how they do things, like put the toolbar on the right instead of the left, no. And, and he calls it, this is, this, people always immediately come up with reasons why you don't want to do that and why you can't do that and why that would be terrible. And of course, it's the same thing when a regulator tells a tech company to do something or, you know, when you ask your colleagues to do something or indeed, of course, your colleagues ask you to do something or change the way you're doing something. So basically for all the regulators out, uh, regulators <laughs> out there, it's not you. <laughs> We just say no to yeah. everything. But it's also all, it's also, it's like a kind of, in, in a kind of natural kind of human instinct. Um, and, and of course, it's not, it's not just you always say no to it, literally everything, but you're being asked to completely overturn the decisions that you make and the, the analysis that you did. And you're going, no, no, you're not going to do it like that. You're going to do it like this. Okay. So how do we think about this? Yeah. So it struck me that there's sort of three ways of, of, of kind of splitting this apart. Um, that is to say, the first category is, um, no, we don't want to do that because we don't like that. We don't like that approach. We don't want to do it. We don't want to do it in that way. We want to do it this way. We designed the. We made a decision. We wanted the product to work like X and, or work like Y. Or of course, this is going to cost us money. It's going to make life easier for our competitors. It's a huge amount of inconvenience that doesn't get us anything. Mm. We don't think it's good for the user. But the thing that runs through all of that is you could do it, and like it wouldn't really be that big a deal. It would just be annoying. Um, and so, you know, the kind of example in the kind of current conversations might be, um, you know, if Apple let um, every app sign up alternative payment methods inside of their app on the iPhone, 
um, it would be annoying and, you know, there would be some trade-offs around security and privacy and you can also argue whether anyone would actually do it, which is kind mm. of a separate point. But, you know, the iPhone would still, it would kind of work much the same way, you know, like the, all the apps would still be there, everything, everything would still work, it would still be secure, it wouldn't crash, it would be fine, it would just be kind of annoying. Yeah. Um, this is kind of like, you know, the browser ballot thing that was imposed on Microsoft kind of 20 years ago. When you first start up your Windows PC, it has to ask you which of the following five web browsers you want to set as your default. This is, stu- this is dumb and annoying and pointless and won't work. And it didn't work. Microsoft was kind of right when they said this is dumb and pointless and won't work. But like life carried on and it was fine. Like you know, the world didn't end, nothing broke. Like stuff happened. You know, we, we carried on with this. We, we, it, it, we were fine. And so I think there's kind of a large kind of set of stuff where it's just really annoying that you're being told to do this, whether it's your colleagues, your partners, your 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 customers, your suppliers, or or indeed your your regulator is making you do this. Um, quite often, of course, the ultimate effect is it in a lot of regulation, in particular, is it reduces your margin. Mm. Um, but also um, reduces the margin in an absolute level, not a percentage level, which means it's actually much worse for smaller companies and big companies. This is a classic model of regulation. Of course, it tends to be good for inco- tends to be good for incumbents because um, it bakes bakes in the existing market structure and adds cost for, for new entrants. And also, they're using those companies as a baseline or an example of how things have been done. Yeah, exactly. So they st- so they start they sort of presume that the market works That's the it. way the incumbents do it, and then just kind of regulate on the basis of that, which is actually quite good for the incumbents often. Um, and so this is sort of um, you know the sort of the baseline of like, well, this is really annoying, but get, but guess what? Like, we'll survive. It it brings up that first category. Also brings up for me something that. When I used to work at Nation Builder, our, our CEO at the time would always say, we're deeply opinionated about a few things. And so it brings like to when someone said, asks you to do something mm. and your knee-jerk reaction is, I don't like change. No, it also comes, I think, from a perspective of we've been deeply opinionated in the way we build our software, the way we build our platform. Mm. So no, I don't care what you think we should be better. Our opinions are that it's, it has to be done a certain way, which was always struck me of, yeah. And I appreciated it, as long as you had that explanation of why you're opinionated about something and why you think that opinion is right. Um, but does that is that in your mind, is that like we're deeply opinionated about how we build things? Yeah, exactly. It's that you've made, you've, 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 you've spent a long time thinking about two options and you chose option A. That's it. And there's a bunch of reasons why you didn't choose option B and somebody comes along and makes you choose option B anyway. That'd be kind of another, another Apple example right now would be if they have to replace the lightning port in the iPhone with USB-C. Mm. it's dumb it doesn't actually help the environment it's annoying it's a, probably a less good port than the lightning port apple uses it's certainly a bit bigger but like guess what like like, like every other phone uses USB-C, it'll be fine it's just annoying yeah okay um so that's the first category the second category which is is is, is, is kind of interesting is um no actually there's like enormous unintended consequences here that you have not understood and it's not it will do A or B and you've decided to choose this trade-off rather than that trade-off. It's no way, 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 way. You've actually not understood what's going to happen here. Um, and I think the big example of this in the last couple of years was in the California, where California decided that they would classify Uber drivers as employees using something called AB5, which is a law called AB5. And you know, obviously people have different opinions about whether gig economy workers in general should be employers, employees because of sort of security and um, yeah. 
health insurance in the US and job security and holiday pay and all kinds of stuff. And do they have to pay that? Um, do they have to pay sales tax? Um, and obviously, there are some markets where if you were to force the company to make those people employees, then they actually couldn't afford to run the business, like you couldn't probably couldn't do food delivery in some places if you had to do that. And so that's a debate about, well, these are the pros and cons of how this works. The trouble is, that's not what AB5 did. What AB5 did was ban all freelance work. Yeah. And they didn't realise that that's what they'd done. That's not so was, what, that was not their intention. Was, no, what they actually did was pass a law that said if you are a musician and you go and play a gig in a university concert hall one afternoon, you are now an employee of that university with health insurance. And if you are a photographer and you go and do a job for a newspaper, now you're an employee of the newspaper. They have to make you an employee of the like one job. Um, well, it wasn't one job, but there was like, but it was like a very, very low cutoff um, of the number of the number of jobs that you, the not number of jobs that you did. So you have like hairdressers and photographers and makeup artists and you know, all sorts of freelance. Basically, what it, it and journalists, because and most amusingly of all, and not, neither party wants that. To be clear, no, and and so the point is that 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 it's proper that you can have this objective that you can kind of you can decide that's a trade off and you can screw up. And, of course, what happened in California was everybody spent, you know, the, the previous couple of months saying, wait, 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 you have not understood what this is going to do. This is going to cause chaos. And, of course, politicians responsible said, say, ha, 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 you would say that. You don't know what you're talking about. You're lying. Um, it will be fine. And, of course, then they pass the law and discover, actually, no, this is not fine. This is a big problem. Um, and, in fact, California then had a ballot initiative to overturn. For A, what they then did was they made, like, 150 exemptions, carving out every other job except Uber drivers, which was just kind of spectacularly incompetent. Um, the generalised point here is, you know, you can screw up the law, and you can, particularly if it's in a field that you don't necessarily understand very well, which is, is generically true of technology, because we didn't all grow up, grow up with this stuff. Um, the challenge is that kind of very often that, of course, all the companies looking at a proposal that's actually in the first category will t- tell you that it's in the second category. So Apple will tell you that if you allow third-party apps to use credit cards, this will destroy the security model and lead to an explosion of fraud. Um, they will also tell you that if you were to allow third-party apps exactly the same access to all APIs, hardware and software on the device that Apple's own apps have, that would cause an explosion of malware and security problems. And when out, then they're true. That's true. Yeah. Um, if Apple, if you were to force any app that you Holoscope app you install on your phone to have unrestricted file access, that would be a major, major problem and basically destroy the security model of the iPhone, which is a big reason why it's so great. Um, and so that you, you know, you kind of have to do the work and you have to work out well what actually is the nature of the problem here and are they, is this true that this will cause these major unintended consequences or is it just it's going to reduce some of the margin of the company mm-hmm. um and a kind of an interesting sort of case study we've had around this recently is in the digital markets act which is this draft eu piece of eu legislation that kind of tries to regulate basically any any basically tries to regulate anything that's a platform in any way so it tries to regulate amazon and airbnb and uber and the app store and a whole bunch yeah. of other stuff treats them all the same yeah yeah which is kind of a problem in its own right um but there is basically this three line clause that says um all person-to-person messaging apps must be interoperable with any other app that wants to connect to them and if you think that this stuff sort of works like email, then that kind of sounds okay. But the guy who runs um, product manager for WhatsApp says, okay, so lots of people keep trying to spam my users. 
If you created an app that let you spam every send a message to every WhatsApp user in India five times a day, am I obliged to connect to that? And the EU said, oh, yeah, yeah, we should probably like do a bit more work on this. And so there's like a draft 30 page document that goes all the way through this and actually tries to answer those kind of questions. Um, and so this is the sort of this middle case is, no, it's not just that it's expensive and annoying and we didn't want to do that. It's if you get this wrong, this causes major, major, major problems. Um, I mean, the analogy I was talking about before we started recording was like, imagine you went to car companies and said, um, it, every car is bundled with a seat and that's unfair competition with people who might want to sell you a seat. Therefore, cars have to come with no seats and you have to buy your own seats afterwards. Like, you, you kind of understand that wouldn't be a great idea. <laughs> um, but we didn't grow up with tech the way we grew up with cars. So we don't quite understand the way that that would actually not be a good idea. It, it leads to two things to me of also down the line, how do we solve for this? How do we build better trust between the institutions and the regulators and the tech companies that... Oh, I don't think you do because, you know, it's, it's in the nature of this is an adversarial process. And of course, it's in the nature of the company being regulated. It's not specific to technology. You know, any company that's being told you have to do X will have a whole bunch of reasons why this is a terrible idea. And the, di- the difficulty is that if you're on the receiving end of that, no, you have to kind of understand what sort of no this is. That's, but that's my point in that you have to, this, you still, I think, need a level of trust there being built. But the second piece that I was going to say is not on to, only on top of that is one of the reasons when I started my career in the European Commission and I left very quickly is that it all felt, I'm working with some of the smartest people, but it all felt very theoretical. And it was obvious that a lot of these people writing these legislations and trying to make these changes had never written a line of code, tried to build a piece of software, had worked in a tech company. And so there's something interesting there for me of just like a little bit of empathy on both sides is everyone's trying to do the right thing. Mm. But the regulator has never worked in a tech company a day in their life. And the technologist building this has probably never thought about also the unintended consequences of what it means to put out a piece of software available to all and how it's going to be used and how governments and companies... Something interesting of how do you under how do you create that level of empathy that both understand what you're trying to do on on either end end of this, which mm. again to your point you you still need that adversarial is why you know lobbying works and you know you still need that tension. But it's and it's and it, as I said it's sort of in it's inherent to any yeah. of these conversations. It's just that you know in technology you you know you're not used to this stuff. We're not. And so it's on you, you. Know, there's particularly in it's an engineering conversation, it's a technology conversation. People come along and say, oh, you don't understand. Well, sometimes they're right. I think the um. So those are the sort of the first two, which is the it's annoying versus you. This is going to break stuff that you haven't thought about. The third cap. And actually, before before you go on to the third one, there's another example that I thought that was quite interesting that happened with GDPR. Is trying to have conversations with people of, hey, can we stop talking about localization of data and where the data is stored, and can we talk about the movement and the process of how you get that data flow from one mm. country to another? Yeah, that's a way more complicated and layer conversation, but it's a way more valuable conversation to be having versus. I need this data stored in my country. Well, do you need it in Germany or do you need it actually in Berlin or actually do you need it down the street from you? That's an idiotic conversation to have. Let's talk about mm. how that data flows from one continent to another or one app to another. But that's, a, to your point, that's a much more layered and complicated question and pretty new that we don't understand what questions we should be asking to have that conversation. Yeah. I think I think that's right. You know, you actually have to do, you know, the trivial observation, you have to do the work. 
The third category I thought, and this is actually one that comes up much more in technology than in other industries, is even if the first category is um, that's really annoying and it will be expensive and awkward and difficult and we hate that. And the second one is, wait a minute, no, that's actually going to like break a whole bunch of stuff that you've not realized. Um, and then the test is, is, is that true? Um, and then the, But then the third category is, no, actually you're asking us to do the impossible. You're asking us to make gasoline that can't burn. So, you know, you can tell the car companies to put seatbelts and airbags in the cars and they'll fight tooth and nail. They did. They fought tooth and nail for 20 years against putting seatbelts and airbags in the cars. And then everybody refused to wear the seatbelts and it took another 20 years to get everyone to wear the seatbelts. But like you can make a car with a seatbelt. There's no reason why you can't at all. The second category is um, you might say um, you have to make, um, you know, every car has to have a man walking in front holding a red flag. Um, okay, well, then it can't go more than five miles an hour. So yeah. uh, that's, kind of, that's kind of a problem. But the third category is you have to make gasoline that doesn't burn, um, which is to say um, we want you to do something that is actually not possible to do. Um, my, old, my old boss, Mark Andreessen, um, Andreessen Horowitz, used to call this the nerd harder argument, which was just uh, meaning like go off and do more engineering. Just make whatever ideas that I want to exist, just go and make it. Just make it happen. And sometimes that, then you get these phrases like, well, we need to have a Manhattan project for how we do um, secure encryption that the police can read. Mm. Um, well, Manhattan, A, the Manhattan project started with an understanding of what the physics of nuclear fission might be. And like you knew theoretically how to do it. You just had to work out what the engineering was. Um, and there is no theory of what that would be. Like a secure encryption means no one can read it. But the police can read it. Okay, so it's not secure. So which is it? Um, a long time ago, I used to have a broker. I used to have, when I was a stockbroker, I worked for, work for an investment bank. I had a colleague um, who, if he was trying to sell, pitching a trade to a client and the client wasn't going for it, he would say, look, do you want to borrow or do you want to sell? Because I'm a broker, I can do either. Um, and that's sort of a reaction sometimes from Silicon Valley is, do you want us to make it harder to get the data out or easier to get the data out? Because, you know, we're engineers, we can do either. And then you look at some, particularly some of the, the latest EU legislation, and it just says, well, you'll just have to work out how to make it easier while also making it harder. I mean, this is the thing in the, um, as I said, the proposal that says all messaging apps have to be interoperable. Yeah, also, you have to maintain all current protections of security and privacy. Of course. Well, <laughs> but you've just told us we have to remove, like, which is it? If any app of any kind can connect to all the messaging and all the user data with no restrictions, then I've removed the restrictions and I haven't got the same protection on the on the user data. Um, and, you know, we, we see this in a whole bunch of contexts now. The same thing in these sort of proposals for... Um, um, that you that there's a proposal from the EU now that all messaging apps have to scan all user messaging looking for grooming. So trying yeah. to persuade, you know, grooming for, for child sexual abuse. Um, problem one is obviously that's a massive privacy question just from a philosophical point of view problem two is that's not a simple database look at that's a quite challenging machine learning problem and it's not going to work very reliably like it might work 60 70 percent of the time maybe massive false positive problem actually we don't really have the machine learning technology to do that um, third problem also you have to do this while maintaining all user privacy you want us to read all the messages without changing the privacy well which is it and you can't just kind of make those trade-offs go away by saying that there's no trade-off in paragraph 15, subclause 42. Oh, and you have to do this without any trade-offs. Well, you can say that, but that trade-off is there. And I think mm. 
as I, as I said, this is hence my sort of sense that there were sort of these three different differences, these three different problems. There's the one that's annoying. There's the one that will cause a giant problem, but we could do it if you made us. Um, like, like we could sell people cars with no engine if you really wanted, if we had to. It would just be a terrible idea. We could ban all freelance work, um, but we'd kind of rather we not. Um, but then the third one is you have to make gasoline that doesn't burn. Well, that well, that's not on the list of options. Like there is literally no way we can do that. And I think the difference the difference in technology, obviously, again, these apply to every industry. Like you know, is that because we didn't grow up with this stuff, we don't have that sort of innate understanding of what is something that's actually way more difficult than you understand versus what is something that is actually not physically possible in the way that you're proposing. Is that, do you think, the sole reason why we keep landing in that third category? Not that to say that we there's many, obviously, instances where we're in categories one and two, but it definitely does feel like every time institutions or regulators go to the drawing board and try and do something to make the world better or to make something better or to protect citizens, we kind of keep ending up in this situation where it's like, that's just not possible. Like what? Why? How? Do, why do we keep ending up here? Well, so I think there's. Um, and is it just that the tech is just becoming more and more complicated, and we can't catch up? I do think, as, as I said several times, I think part of this is because we didn't grow up with this. And so, you know, if you were to say um, we think that um, having shops on multiple floors is inherently discriminatory to people with limited mobility, even if you have elevators and lifts, therefore no shops can have multiple floors. Everything has to be built on one floor we would all kind of immediately think, yeah, that's really not a good idea. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we get kind of, it, it's possible, but it's a terrible idea. And so we, and we kind of don't have that sort of innate understanding of what software is, how software works, what it is that's actually going on when this or that happens. Um, I mean, I had, you know, recently had this sort of conversation with um, somebody in UK UK government who um, was under the impression that you could use an IP address to prevent anonymous use or prevent people from having multiple accounts. That like, well, Facebook can just say, well, has anybody used this? That, that, that an IP address was somehow uniquely tied to one device permanently. And so that would let you stop people having anonymous Facebook accounts or multiple Facebook accounts or stop people posting to Twitter anonymously. And I kind of had to explain, well, no, yes, yes, if somebody does something illegal on the internet, you can go back and see what was that IP address at that time and therefore find somebody. But it doesn't work the other way. You can't, you know, IP addresses are not kind of permanent, unique identifiers to individuals. And so you can't use that to prevent. And like most of us sort of learned that like 20 years ago, like, like what an IP address is and how sort of how it works. And we kind of forgot about it. Like I actually couldn't, I was kind of sitting trying to remember like, okay, how does network address translation work? How does that work? And so I was sort of trying to work out, like, how do I explain this? Um, but because, you know, if you didn't grow up with this stuff, if you haven't been used to all of this stuff all of your life, it is new and, and you don't have that sort of innate understanding in the way that you would if it was like real estate or retail or banking or something. And I think it's not just that it's an innate understanding and you grow up with it, but it's also you work with it on a day-to-day basis to your, exactly to yeah. your point of, you know, people who work in tech can explain to you how an IP address works and doesn't work like pretty seamlessly it's a pretty easy thing for them if you don't work in this industry you're going to have a hard time even you know explaining when i when i was selling to political campaigns and presidential uh, candidates explain to them what an api was because they kept saying oh i need we need to apparently we need to connect to the api we need to connect and i was like well do you know what an api is and why you need it and they're like 
I actually have no idea what I'm saying. And I was like, that's that's totally fine. But let's have, before mm. you give me a laundry list of the things that you think you need to be able to buy software for NAS, let's actually have the conversation about what these things you think they are and why you think they're useful to you, which is also interesting. It's like, what's mm. that? We're, we're speaking a different language sometimes. It is. I think there's a, it's actually, I haven't said there are three ways. There's actually a fourth category. Okay. Which it break, breaks every consulting model. Everything <laughs> is, is three bullet points. Because and it's because we've we've mentioned encryption a couple of times, and I think on the one hand, you know, we, we've spent the last five minutes saying that politicians don't understand tech. I think technology very often does a bad job of explaining Absolutely. what kind of no we're getting we're getting here. Is this say this reduces our margin? Is this cause no? This causes a major structural problem to that you haven't thought about, or is it no? This is physically impossible. But in particular, the debate in encryption. Far too often, not not so much recently, but particularly you know until a few years ago. The argument from technology would not, technology companies would not be, no, this is the only way we can stop China from reading our emails or the only way that we can stop you from getting hacked. Instead, it was, we do not, as a matter of our personal political opinions, believe that you should have that policy. Yeah. So we don't believe that the police should be able to read messages. Well, that's not your opinion. That's not your choice. That's not your decision. Um, now, of course, when it gets to questions like, well, the only way we can make it secure in Iran is by making it secure here, or the only way we can make it secure in China is making it secure here, that gets a bit more complicated because then there is a sort of degree of politics in that. But you kept, one kept sort of seeing people from Silicon Valley sort of, you know, the politician says, you know, the police are trying to catch his child abuser. Here is a 45-year-old man who has gone on the run with a 12-year-old girl who thinks she's in love with him or until she met him. And we need to read their email. And you're saying to me, you don't think the police should be able to read private emails. That's not going to be a, that's not really a great argument, but it's also not your argument to make. It's not your decision. You know, it's the government, you know, there is a you know, democratic process that decides what the police get to do. And as a tech company, you're not, you don't get to just say, well, I'm not going to follow the democratic process. Obviously, when it goes to China, that becomes more complicated. But that there's a sort of, it's like, it's a terrible argument to say, we, I just don't want to do what the democratic the consensus in France says that we should do, I'm going to ignore you. Um, the you kind of the, the, the sensible argument is to come from this as an engineer and say, well, there's things I can build and things I can't. And if it's a democratic consensus of this country that I should build this, well, we can have that conversation. But if it's a democratic consensus of that country that I have to build something that is physically impossible to build, then that's an engineering conversation, not a question of, of opinion. It also, it's far more, um, it also takes that argument away from what we keep hearing, whether it's from Brussels or from Washington, all of these tech CEOs that wield all of this power to be able to say no and yes to things that they shouldn't be deciding on, um, which I think there's, a, there's a, the whole other conversation, again, like working yeah. in tech. Well, it's a, legitimate, it's a legitimacy it's, point, and it's one it. that Facebook makes very often, that Facebook doesn't yeah. feel it has a legitimacy to decide the basis of political discourse in Germany or Spain or Japan, and they don't want to. And that's kind of a fair point. Um, and the, the, you know, Japan or Spain or, or indeed the EU will say equally, no, it's not your decision what people can say on the internet, it's our decision how the internet, what, what people are allowed to do. But you want us to... You know, it's it's sort of like how can I put this? It's like it's as though General Motors says, um, we don't believe in speed limits. Or um no, the bad example, it's as though General Motors says, um, we don't believe in seatbelts because we believe that um they're uncomfortable and so we're not gonna put them in the car. We don't like them. Well it's not your decision. Well and it 
it's the, it's exactly the same when it comes to politics and software of just like oh you shouldn't be selling you know these campaigning tools to extreme right i'm sorry but agreed but also if they're allowed to run if the government is allowing a candidate to run in a certain country then why yeah. are you saying that to the tech companies that they shouldn't be giving them the tools to run for office like well that's an, inter- it's an interesting question because it's, it's kind of like, well, you, do you go to the landlord and say you shouldn't rent to that party? Do you go to the phone company and say they shouldn't be That's able it. to buy a phone Where service? Do you, stop? do you go to the electricity company and say they shouldn't be allowed to get up by electricity? Um, and the answer is, well, it is kind of complicated because you probably can go to a venue and say you shouldn't rent your concert hall to them. And they, people do. But, you, all the time. but yeah. But that's not the same as saying like you the phone company should Yeah, or you can't buy a phone. Like it's an interesting challenge. And that's and that is interesting because that was where our head was at when we when I was working in this world was where do we sit as a tech company that sells mm. campaigning software? Are we a phone company or mm. are we a venue? And then you get into really interesting conversations to your point, because mm. all of this is so new. We're not used to having these conversations or they don't feel as normal as all the examples that you gave before about we know what feels right and wrong when we're building a car. We mm. know what feels today a bit like a stupid request, mm. one that we would say no to, whereas in the tech world. Yeah, I think the, the, the threat to all of this is, 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 is I think this, it's, it's just sort of interesting to look at bad arguments. That's it. And this is something something I come to frequently. Um you know, you might be right or wrong, but that's a bad argument or a good argument. That's an argument. That's an argument that will persuade somebody, or not. And what, and can, we, what can we learn from these? And, and even if you don't persuade anybody, like that's like yeah, there's no choice. Like we can't build gasoline that doesn't burn. And that's very different to saying, well, I don't like that, or I don't want to do that, or that's bad for my margins. And I think you know, this this sort of the thread that I just see over and over again is not understanding the difference in those kinds of questions like what does it mean when the tech company says no what does it mean which which kinds of no's should you ignore or say yeah whatever of course you'll say that (laughs) and please for heaven's sake don't pass a law that says oh well you just have to build it and do it anyway like you kind of need to do the work sorry brussels sorry brussels um no but i think it's nice i like it there's there's like what can we learn from the different no's um, and let's ask those questions. And again, what are those? Qu- and let's learn. Let's understand what are the questions we should be asking. Because at this point, I think that's also the problem is we don't know what questions we should be asking. Indeed. Amazing. Okay. Talk to you soon. Great. Good chat.